Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 380th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting right across the world in this, our ninth year. I also want to send my thoughts to my former business partner of 15 years, an extraordinarily creative woman who is in a life and death struggle in hospital near Palm Springs. Janice Loveland created incredible campaigns in the US, in Asia, Europe, Australia and South America wrote a great book called Shattering the Glass Ceiling, and she wrote that 20 years ago. I'll always be grateful for her friendship and her talent. Keep fighting, Janice. We are with you every step of the way. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about autonomous vehicles entering the market, particularly cars and trucks, but one autonomous vehicle that is really making headway is the bus. Last November... Las Vegas, of course, launched an autonomous bus route along a tourist-heavy stretch of Fremont Street. Driverless buses continue to trend across America as cities become more excited at the idea of autonomous shuttle capabilities. But Vegas is leading the charge as the first to put them on public streets. The program is now the largest AB bus pilot in the US. The AB shuttle, it's a free service for Las Vegas visitors and residents. It spans eight city blocks, six traffic lights and two stop signs, all without a human being behind the wheel. And it's run safely and without a hitch since its launch. Now, while on the subject of autonomous vehicles, people are attacking Waymo's self-driving cars in Arizona by slashing tires and in some cases, pulling guns on the safety drivers. Chandler, Arizona, where Waymo's self-driving fleet has been testing for two years now, has seen an uptick of people frustrated with the vehicle's presence. According to police reports, there have been at least 21 instances where police were called because of people attacking the cars or threatening their human safety drivers. Tires have been slashed, guns have been pulled, and one man fed up with the cars driving in his neighbourhood even stood in front of a van until the cops arrived. (laughs) These instances highlight a common fear people have about technical and technology innovations. There is a human in every vehicle, even when it's operating in self-driving mode. Waymo said drivers are instructed to use their discretion and contact police in any situation that makes them feel unsafe or could be dangerous. Self-driving is so much more safe than regular cars. It's ridiculous. And people who, you know, I meet people all the time are terrified of technology. And it's crazy because they're going to not fit in the world in 10 years' time. And these people are afraid to be able to fit in. So they'll be unemployed. Not good. Why I said that over the past two years, they found Arizona to be welcoming and 
the potential of this technology that will make their roads safer. Knee-jerk reactions to new technologies are to be expected, I suppose, at this point. Taxi drivers, for example, protested the rapid expansion of Uber and Lyft and other ride-hailing services across the world. Many tax companies have gone broke. Many taxi drivers have had to have lost their livelihood, but they deserve to. They stink. They're not maintained where the hell they're going. Good to go, bro. You know, so I got no sympathy for them. While in San Francisco, luxury buses to transport tech from the city to their corporate campuses, they were targeted by residents. I mean, haven't these people got anything to do? Other incidents involving Wayne, like in California, have been the fault of huge, in some cases, a self-driving software would have paid safer action. Waymo's first committed in Arizona under the name and of, the good news is that autonomous vehicles, each car fatalities are at lows. How about that? Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business? Well, you should. About nearly 1.8 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds to read. Well, that's not really true. Sometimes it takes a minute to read. And every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about advances in medicine to new apps, subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous blockchain, cryptocurrency. We tackle. And it's about Americans in our work 47 hours, which is one of the highest in the world. Only 2.8 hours are productive work. Working. <laughs> so six hours a day is looking up emails, watching Netflix, or just plain jerking off, I suppose. So to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology and ensure that you're able to compete in this ever-competitive world, you should get the Bob Pritchard newsletter because it does keep you abreast of all sorts of subjects, which means... You know, if you're at a dinner party or you're in a group of people, no matter what the subject that comes up, you will have a basic knowledge of it. So if you want to get it, simply go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. And it's not like a lot of these websites where once you've got it, you can't get rid of it. You know, I've got, I've got some um, newsletters that I get you cannot get rid of no matter what you do. Well, this one, you just click the unsubscribe button and it's gone right then, right there. You never get another one. Have you heard about the um, ransomware camera hacking scam? This is a good one. A hell of a lot of people have fallen for it. Ransomware exploits computer users' fear that their privacy is being compromised. Now, as more and more malware makes the headlines... Most of us become concerned for our data safety, our own privacy, and even our personal safety. Ransomware, like the your camera has been hacked, which is a scam, that sends you a message telling you that hackers have images taken from your webcam while you were surfing, say, porn sites or something on the web, 
or taking nude photos of yourself. And a lot of people do it. So as soon as they're told that the hackers have got it, they get nervous. And to get rid of it, you've got to pay a ransom in Bitcoin, which is not traceable. Now, we all know, well, you should know that the cameras on your laptops and on your phones and whatever, they can record you at any time. It doesn't have to be on. Bloody computer doesn't have to be on. So you've got to be careful. Now, it's possible for malware running on your Mac to turn on the iSight camera and record video or still images as well as audio from the microphone and send it to a storage location somewhere on the internet. And if you've got a, mic a webcam in the lid of your laptop or your computer monitor, there's some sensible things that you should be doing. If you go and have a look at a photo of Zuckerberg sitting by the computer in his office, every one of his computers has got tape over both the microphone and the camera. This is Zuckerberg. The best way to stop anybody accessing your camera or microphone and recording you is to put a tape over them. The green light should come on when the camera's in use, but it's possible to disable that green light, and you may not notice it come on as well particularly if it's only just snapping photos. So while it's possible to steal video, audio and photos and pretty much anything from your webcam and microphone, malware exists that can do it. But that's not always the case. They can use a bluff. The porn blackmail scam sends out email messages to millions and millions of people claiming your webcam has been hacked and it's designed to extract money from people who think that it could be true, say people who have been on porn or people who have looked up dating sites or someone who's sending nude photos of themselves, they sit there and they think, oops, it could be true. And so they um, send money and the hackers love it and make a fortune. So the emails usually claim since you've downloaded a virus while watching porn, and that the virus captured video of you while you were on the site. And then they have screenshots of the site itself. It then threatens to send the video to everyone in your contacts app if you don't pay a ransom of several thousand dollars in Bitcoin. Now, the database in my phone is hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people most of whom are business people or political people or people in some level of um, authority. And the last thing I want is them to be sent a whole bunch of photos of me accessing porn or doing whatever I'm doing. So people pay the ransom. And as an extra twist, the email addresses are often harvested from data breaches. So that exposes passwords so they can, when they contact you, They'll include your password and then you think, geez, they've obviously got it because they've got my password, so it's got to be real. And so they get really nervous. It's a tried and trusted, trusted social engineering trick, a very nasty one, and they are really seriously good at it. Now, if you receive one of these ransomware emails – if you receive one of these ransomware emails, there's five things you could do. First one, 
delete it. Don't click on any links in the email and don't pay the ransom. Even if you visited porn sites, delete the email. If the email contained a password or part of a password that you've used online, change the password on every site where you use it. Use a unique password for every account and don't write it down, particularly on your computer. Number three, scan your computer for malware using one of, there's a million antivirus tools that allow you to download them and scan your computer for free. Number four, just forget about it. Once you've deleted the email, changed passwords and scanned your computer, forget about it. You probably, and I emphasize probably, won't hear any more from the hackers. And number five, delete any accounts that you no longer use or need. So that's how you get away from being blackmailed. And usually, it's a scam. Now, my guest after this short break is the fantastic Rusty Egan, who I met for the first time a couple of weeks ago. He is brilliant, and he has an absolutely extraordinary story to tell that will motivate anyone. doesn't matter how down in the dumps you are or what the hell's gone wrong in your life. Rusty's the guy to fix it. I'll be back with Rusty in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, for the past eight years or so, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting people. We've talked about the services they provide, the challenges that they've faced, and we've... um, We've tried to find out what the hell it is that makes them tick. Everybody that's in business, doesn't matter what they do, they face the same issues and the challenges that all business executives and entrepreneurs face. Although at the time when you're going through it, it doesn't seem like it. So on this program, we try to address a wide variety of industries and the fascinating people that make those businesses in those industries successful. Last week, my wife and I had our annual huge party at our home in the Hollywood Hills for 120 friends, 
and we always put on entertainment. A great English friend of mine, now located in Los Angeles, who's one of the world's top music publicists and has worked with just major acts all over the planet, had a guy in from London working gigs in the US. He explained to me that Rusty Egan was great and that I should have him at the party. Now, Rusty began his career as a drummer for the British new wave band Rich Kids, founded by former Sex Pistol Glenn Maddock. Of course, I said, great, love to have him appear. But then I must admit, I thought, oh, Sex Pistol, what's this guy going to be like? Is he going to turn up with safety pins through his nose? What, you know, (laughs) I didn't have a clue. And, uh, well, let me tell you, Rusty was fantastic. He did a four-hour set. He was very, very funny. And the audience of essentially entertainment and business people absolutely love him. He's a terrific guy and we got along like a house on fire. So I thought it would be interesting to have him on as a guest. He's had he's had a few challenges in his time and we'll talk about some of those today. But I've got Rusty on the line from London. Hi, Rusty. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. Thank you very much, Bob. Yes, very excited. Um, You've had an amazing career. You were part of the new wave movement in London in the 1980s, playing with a number of bands. You were DJing at influential clubs, including your own Camden Palace, and also operating a music store in London. Um, I mentioned your gigs with the rich kids with Glenn Matlock earlier. How did you get your start as a drummer in the music business? Well, uh, my parents were musicians, oh, and uh, I, uh, my whole family, my brothers, everyone, we have a musical family. Uh, we were Irish, and uh, my mum and dad spent most of their life in the pub, <laughs> <laughs> on the stage, and then I got the job in the drum stool as soon as I was uh, able to play, actually. Um, but then I went out and answered adverts in the local paper. Uh, well, it wasn't a local paper. It was called the um, the Melody Maker, I think, back then. Oh, yep. And it's a drummer wanted, and one of the bands was The Clash. Right. I used to show up every day at this rehearsal room in Camden Town and play with uh, The Clash before they made a record. Right. As a matter of fact, I did introduce them to their drummer, a guy called Topper. So you work with... Um, you work with people like Mick Ronson, who, of course, work with Bowie. Um, what other what other major acts did you work with back then? Ah, well, and what year are we uh, talking? Right about? At, yeah, nineteen seventy eight, seventy nine, nineteen eighty was a very, very vibrant time in London. Yes, and um, I worked as a drummer in this band with Glenn Matlock. The first album I made. Produced by Mick Ronson, who was uh, Spiders from Mars and uh, wrote and produced a hell of a lot of great music. Yeah, um, Unbeknownst to us, the band, uh, Mick was going through a, a lot of his own turmoil at that time. Um, after the Spiders from Mars broke up, it turned out that they they hadn't actually been paid very much and... Um, he didn't really um, have anywhere to live. You know, he didn't come from London. It was really a, a tough time for him. So by taking on a band and producing their album was a, a way for him to to 
change his career as a, and become a producer. And through that album, I met Midge Ewer, who was yep. the lead singer of the Rich Kids. Yep. We toured and got spat on and, you know, <laughs> at the time, it was a terrible time to be in a band, uh, as in, you know, fighting and punks and rockers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and through, through with Midge, when a band split up, I, I, I started to DJ in a small little club. And we met Phil Linnett. Have you ever heard of him? No, I haven't. He was in a band called Thin Lizzy. Oh, yeah, Thin Lizzy. And they had an right. album. Yep. The boys are back in town. The boys are back in town. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, I was DJing and um, playing all the music that I wanted to hear in a small little club uh, with a, a guy called Steve Strange, who... Um, who was strange, to say the least, <laughs> uh, very, very influenced by David Bowie. Um, members of that club all went on to do some amazing things. Uh, the cloakroom attendant for a little while was Boy George. <coughs> and the, the local band were um, Spander Ballet, and they did their first ever gig at, at the Blitz Club. Right. And then I was playing music that um, wasn't punk. It wasn't disco. You could dance to it. It didn't really have a name to it. But it was the very first records of Simple Mind, the very first record of Human League, Depeche Mode, OMD, and basically anything electronic and synth. And because, because of that music... Midge and I made an album with a band we created called Visage. Yes. And you had a hit. Well, that album was a sort of groundbreaking album of that era, 1979, 1980. It was recorded in the garage of Martin Russian's house. All right. The next album he made was Don't You Want Me Baby. Um, the, the sound of... Great yeah, song, he produced song. that. So, but I still loved rock. You know, I yeah. still loved rock at that time. But so why did you decide to be a G DJ? Were you just a lousy drummer? No, no, it was in between. I, I, it was in between the band split up, yeah. and oh, I did go clubs. I did, and and, and I hated the, the, the music. They didn't play what I wanted to hear, and I said, "Look, why don't we just?" take over a little club on a Tuesday and I'll, I'll play Lou Reed and David Bowie and Roxy Music and Kraftwerk and um, I did that and, and uh, we invited all our mates along and all our musicians and, and Steve invited all his very colourful friends along and fashion students and it was a little club in Soho called Billy's It was a gay and, club, uh, right? Well, that was the point. We could get this club. We couldn't yeah. get any other club. So yeah. it, was a, it was more than a gay club. I think it was a club where, where anything goes, you know. So you didn't, you didn't know, is she a boy? Is she a girl? Is, who, we loved it. Yeah, I can you know, imagine. It was, it was all very Bowie-esque as far as we were concerned. That was great. Yeah. And that, was a, that was a great time for music. Um, you know, and, but, but not getting paid by managers and was oh, sort of half of the course. Everyone, 
<laughs> um, so in 79, you opened the Blitz Club in Covent Garden. Yeah. And you said that it was a, a club for misfits, the odd, the weird, the sexually unsure, unaware. It was all very glamorous. Yeah. So what, what was the thinking behind that? You were just trying to out Bowie well, Bowie. Well, you mentioned um, this was a time for, um, you mentioned your show about entrepreneurs and blah, blah, blah. Um, it was a recession. It was um, dark, um, empty, shops closed down, government uh, collapsing, um, rubbish not being collected, piled high in the streets. Um, you know, the, the system of, of government was falling apart and then along came Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. So uh, it was this, you know, end of the 70s and here comes the 80s and you can get rich and you can be the owner of your own home and, you know, all this stuff. Maggie came along telling everyone, more or less like Trump, we're going to make Britain great again and all this stuff. Um, so trickling down into, you know, kids with no money, uh, having just been through a whole punk thing, we wanted to dress up. We wanted to look like movie stars. We didn't want to look, look like homeless people, even yeah. though we were. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't have any jobs or anything. Like I said, the band split up, and then what shall I do? Oh, I'll just put some music on in a little club. You know, that was what I thought it was. I got a phone call from a band called The Skids. Yep. So I went up to Scotland and, and went in a garage and rehearsed with them. And uh, we made an album, which which is pretty um, heralded now. It's called Days in Europa. So I spent about a year with them whilst, whilst still DJing at my club once a week. Right. So I don't know how I managed to do that, really. <laughs> so what, um, there was clubs everywhere. What... What made your club successful? I mean, why were you successful when people all around you were sort of struggling? What was it? What was well, it? as I said, um, it was the end of the 70s, and as far as I was concerned, it was the end of disco. Right. And punk had come along, and it was the end of punk as far as I was concerned. So there was this, there was this blank, and I was, I was finding records by Ultrabox and Magazine and Simple Minds to add to the Bowie and Roxy and Kraftwerk and Grace Jones. And basically I played what I thought to be current, great music to hear in a club if you are 21, 22. Yeah. And yowza, yowza, get up and boogie and disco might have been going on in America. But for young British kids, we wanted the synthesizer. We wanted this new sound and... OMD, Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark, they brought out a record called Electricity, and I loved it, and I played these records, and then I started to find other records based around sort of Georgia Baroder or Kraftwerk, right. electronic music. So what made the club happen was the fact that the Blitz was um, a wine bar themed on the 1940s Blitz. Right. People dressed up like movie stars, 1940s. Yeah. They made their own clothes have, going to college, <laughs> and they heard this futuristic music coming from the DJ um, with lyrics like, you know, Trans Europe Express, 
um, and it was all very um, film noir. Yeah. So people people got the cameras out, and everyone was taking photographs, and then basically it became the equivalent of today, like Facebook Live. Look at me. Yeah. Look what I wore. Look what I'm doing. And what and. And it wasn't like I'm unemployed, I come from Durham, I've got no future, which was the sort of Sex Pistols thing, we hate everything and, and yeah. we've got no future in Thatcher, right, Britain. Um, it was like, I can be something, I can do something. I can, um, I can at least make myself look good. Well, yeah, and yeah. That, 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 yeah. You've, got an, you've got an incredible ability to pick music that everybody likes. Like at our ah, place, we yeah. had, we had yeah. what, 120, 130 people, and they were a cross-section, most of them in the music business or the entertainment business one way or another, but a cross-section of people, and they just loved you. They, they you know. Thank you, yeah. We've had so much feedback that said, you know, that guy was just phenomenal. So you've obviously well, got you know, a good feel. Yeah, for I've always what done that, though, Bob. And it's not rocket science, is it, Bob? It's not rocket science. If you if you pick music, you, like, look, you've got an iPod or something, and you, you pick all your favorite songs, and you go to a party, and the guy says, can you put the music on? You go, yeah, I'm loving this at the moment. And you play it, and people say, I love your taste in music. I've only got a great taste in music. I also happen to write and produce music myself, yeah. and I am influenced by, and I made an album, uh, I made an album, my own album, um, Rusty Egan Presents, and I wrote a song, and I thought, you know what, this is, re this is really like Joy Division or New Order. Yeah. And I called up Peter Hook, the bass player, who was no longer in um, New Order, and I said, Pete, I've written this song. Um, would you have a listen? I'd love you to, you know, collaborate. And immediately he heard the song, called me back, sent me his bass playing and his singing. And I said, I can't believe it. You, you did it. He said, I loved it as soon as I got it. And it was like, I must have just picked the exactly the right person for the record, you know? That's a swell. That's a skill. Yeah, That's not well, then I did it. Skill. I, I, it gave me more confidence. So I had another song I'd written about um, uh, people when I was DJing. They, they met and fell in love in a club and they disappeared. I wouldn't see them for years because they got married and had kids. And sadly, it broke up and they were back in the club. So I wrote this song called Lonely Highway. You right. can get off the lonely highway about people looking for love in clubs. Because I saw it every night when I worked in the club as a DJ. Yeah. And um, I thought, I'd love Tony Hadley from Spandau on this. So I thought, well, just send it to him. Same thing happened. Came back with a demo vocal. What do you think of that, Russ? I said, it's perfect. He said, let's do it. And he said, but I've written the end. I've written the end, you know, and he wrote this whole character. I said, okay, you get a share of the writing. I always share my writing. And then I thought, well, I've got Spandau. I might as well, I wanted to put the sax on it, get Steve Norman from Spandau. So I got Steve Norman to play the sax. And then Tony Hadley left the band. Oh, no. 
So it's like, I am no longer in Santa Valley. And I go, oh, no, they're going to stop me putting my record out. But they didn't. They didn't. So basically, I got, I got two guys from Spando on, on my, my record. And then I, I wrote and produced, I don't know, loads of records with Midjure, um, i.e. Visage, a couple of albums at least. And then I had this song, which we'd already called Glorious, with the keyboard player from Gary Newman, a guy called Chris Payne. Yeah. And uh, basically he sends me great keyboard parts and then I write. And um, I had this song and I thought I'll send it to Mitch. And again, Mitch said, I love it, but I'm going to change it. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to keep your chorus. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, yeah. And he got, he wrote a whole, whole new verses, middle eight, the whole thing. I mean, Midge is a phenomenal writer. I yeah. don't know if you know, but he did write, do you know it's Christmas with Bob. Oh, Gilles. really? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. He wrote, he wrote that. And, uh, he had a number one himself with if I was, and he's basically on the road forever. Now he's yeah. doing a, he's doing about 300 gigs a year. So yeah, so my album is out and um, I go to parties and I pick and play music I think people will love and uh, and at your house that day in the Hollywood Hills overlooking the city, beautiful people, all of them with a fantastic musical and or film history. I just dug into my bag and I thought, I wonder if they've heard Credence Clearwater Revival doing Marvin Gaye. Yeah. <laughs> it's about seven minutes long beautiful guitars and I and I dropped tracks like that that everybody absolutely loved them they loved it now yeah. let's just go back a little bit like Simple Minds is a monster Scottish band sold you know 70 or 100 yeah. million records what was your relationship with Simple Minds well as I said I heard their very first uh, record because I went out and Searched and as part of the key to being a, a great DJ, finding music. And I'm really good at that, and I'm still doing it. I have a radio show, and I've been discovering artists. And basically what I do now, today, is obviously I, I just find them and send them a message. And there's a, a band from Australia I'm loving, and they're called Dreams, D-R-E-A-M-S. And they've got a, a, an album called No One Defeats Us. And I, I've got a meeting tomorrow because I've, I've, I've submitted the song for a movie and they want it. And I'm writing to this band called Dreams. They're not answering anything. I found the lead singer. He was in another Australian band. And I found him on Twitter and I've written to him. And I'm, I'm going to this meeting with a film company going, right, have you got that band? We like that song. No one defeats us. And I've, um, I think they, they, they were involved with quite a lot of other bands. So basically... When I found Simple Minds, Life in a Day, it was their first record. And when I contacted them, it was like, there's some bloke in London. And, and they knew who I was because they, they, they followed the rich kids and sex pistols and punk. And he loves our record and he's playing it in the club, you know. Yeah. It, and when you are, when you are unknown, it, it's great if somebody like, like you even has a radio show and you hear about something great in Australia and you listen to it and then you contact and go, hi, it's Bob Pritchard here in Hollywood. We love your album. And they, wow, Bob Pritchard contacted me. You yeah. know, it's a big boost. They never forget it, you know, because you were the first to be there. Well, I did the same with you, t with you too. 
Yeah, I was going to get... The same with you too. I was going to get to you too. So, but before, yeah. we, before we get to you too, everybody in every business, doesn't matter what sort of business you're in, whether you're in the music business or you're a plumber. Yeah. Um, you always face challenges and the music industry is no different. It's a business like any other business. And in 1987, everything went to shit for you and yeah. you became homeless um, in 1990. How did that come yeah. about? What did you do? <laughs> How did you well, end up in that mess? Well, uh, the, the rise, I had the rise, uh, the, the number one album and then the clubs. And, and what happened was a guy walked into my record shop and he said, I want to buy this record Fade to Grey by Visage. And I said, I made it. And uh, he, he already knew. He knew. He knew. Yeah. He'd heard where to find, you know. I didn't know that. He already knew. And he was from France. And he'd made a record that I have just remixed this month, as a matter of fact, by a band called Space. And it was called Magic Fly. And he said, I'm a record producer. And I made this album. I made that. I said, I know what you've done. Because I was a fan of music. I said, I love that record. You want to meet the band? I'm going to Paris. I'll pay for your flight and all this stuff. It was very impressive. Basically, he wooed me. Took yeah. me to Paris. Took me to the studios. This was, like, amazing for me. And um, basically said, son, I'm going to make you a star. I'm going to invest in you. You've made this amazing record. It's going to be number one all over the world. And I, I was like this bright-eyed kid. I found someone who, who believes in me, yeah. you know. Yep. And basically him and a lawyer, we set up all these companies and suddenly I was going to be rich and everything was going to be brilliant. And basically we set up all the companies and then they locked me out. They locked me out of all my own companies. Everything we had, all the studios, all the music companies, everything, they locked me out and basically raped and pillaged the companies. So I ended up losing my home. I just ended up, you know, messed up. And then it was the beginning of Acid House. And I hadn't had a drink or a drug, never right. touched anything. Yeah. But suddenly... I'm in a field with 10,000 people and they've all got their hands in the air wearing smiley t-shirts and I'm standing there thinking, what is this? How am I going to, I need to sign it. You know, there's no band. You know, who do I sign? Who do I try to discover? You know, I was trying to get my life back. Yeah. And bottom line was, because I, my life was so messed up, I was the easy prey to uh, take drugs. Yeah. And I took ecstasy, and I absolutely loved it. And as far as I was concerned, it was like 1967. <laughs> it was the summer of love. And the music was amazing. I was going into record companies, and they were like, yeah, he's washed up. He's finished. Forget him. <laughs> I found Seal. Can you believe that? I found Seal in a rave. Yeah. Have you heard of Seal? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I took him and his demo to Trevor Horn, and they were like, yeah, thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, we'll let you know. And um, didn't let me know. I didn't know they signed him. I was just wasted trying to get my life in order. Yeah. And I met another guy. I met another guy, and he said, let's start a company. I said, I don't, I don't start companies. I get robbed. I do what I do. I give you an invoice, and that's it. I own me. And yeah. I learned to own me. Yeah. I learned just to own you now and uh, and to be honest I could have been a millionaire ten times over but 
I would have lost it all again. I would have got robbed again because I'm a musician. I'm not an entrepreneur in a boardroom knowing about extraordinary uh, shareholders meetings and diluting shares. And uh, I don't know any of that stuff. And yeah. I have no interest in it. Yeah. You know? It, it, it is and, and money was never the thing. Yeah. I'm a creator. It's amazing. So basically, I was robbed, yeah. It's amazing how many people in business, in all sorts of businesses, that get taken and get locked out of their own companies. It happens. It is. So it's not only in the music business. It happens across all businesses. I know a lot of people that have been caught like that. It's like you come home to your wife and she's changed the locks and there's a lawyer there reading you your rights, you know. Who told you that? Basically, that happened to me. Who told you about that? that. Well, I woke up, you know, I woke up and I thought I'm, I'm bloody homeless and my gold records are on the wall of a house I can't get into and I still have to pay the mortgage. I have no right to live in it. I've got a baby. I've lost, I, I sold my car to get through the, the year because I'd lost my company before that. So I've got no car, I've got no home, uh, I've all got no possessions and you won't believe it, in the middle of all this insanity on, on ecstasy, I met the most beautiful girl. I couldn't believe it. I had nothing. I'd lost everything. And she didn't know because I kind of looked okay. And I hadn't, I hadn't, I wasn't a homeless, beaten up guy. I was a, I was a couch surfer, you know? Yeah. I was the, the mate. I was on a mate sofa and, you know, and then he's moving. I've got to find another one. And I moved in with her. So what do you call a drummer without a girlfriend? Homeless. <laughs> so I was a drummer with a girlfriend so and, um, and uh, basically um, she fed me and looked after me and I wrote a song on my album because uh, I lost my wife in 2011 after 25 years and, and three kids and uh, basically she was ill for many years as well so my whole career went and hit the wall as well much later on but right at the beginning she fed me and looked after me, and basically I said, "I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to get my life together again." And then I wouldn't. I'd get up at three in the afternoon because I was taking drugs, and I just had to stop taking drugs. I kept trying to stop taking drugs, but when you, when you're in it, you're in it. Yeah. It's so so difficult, and I don't mean like I was, I was like heroin and stuff. I was on party drugs, and I was going to raves and. You know, all the beginning of all the great DJs and, and all the house music. And uh, it was just, this is another opportunity for me to make it. I've yeah, got yeah. to, you know, and I was all like that every day trying to do it. But every Friday night, boom, wasted and nothing came off. And all the business people were like, he had his day, forget him, he's over. Now, it really is, yeah, yeah, horrible, you know. The extraordinary part of your story, I reckon, is that here you are, down and out, everything's gone to shit, and the guys from U2 come to your aid. How did that come about? Well, uh, you wouldn't believe it. I, I was in a club, and their manager called me over and gave me five grand. And I said, what's that for? He said, come to Dublin, and I'll let you know. How about Monday? And I went, I went over to my girlfriend and said, I can't believe it. I've got to go to Dublin. And I went to Dublin and the band knew what happened to me and they gave me a job. They didn't need me. They didn't, they didn't, they just knew that this wonderful guy who'd done this wonderful thing in London and helped all these bands and made all this music 
and hit hard times. Yep. Yeah, and, and they gave me this job with Bubba Records, and all I had to do was listen to all the music. So I found all these bands, they didn't want them. They didn't want any bands. They just wanted someone to write to them who actually cared, who actually listened to their music and said, we've listened to your music, we really love it, we'd love to help you. We've got a small little label and basically offer them uh, a small little help along. So you two have a company called Not Us, and that company helps a hell of a lot of people that a lot of people don't know about. They really, really put their money back in. They're amazing people. And they, they knew that I'd always said that, no matter what, I'd felt it and said it. And then you won't believe this. Last year, every year, I've always been invited to everything of you two. You know, they just never cut me out. They always were open for me. And about... I think last year they brought out this new album and I absolutely loved it. And I have to admit, there were a couple of years where they brought out, I think, How to Dismantle a Bomb. And I was like, oh, I'm not really that mad on that now. I wish they'd, you know, where's Brian Eno? Where's, you know, I was all like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they'd gone off into areas that weren't quite me. But they were back now. They were back in this area with the, the, the new album, Songs of Innocence. And I basically sent an email saying, guys, I absolutely love the new album. Love is bigger than anything. Wow, I'd love to mix that. And they replied, okay. I was like, what? <laughs> said, mix, mix it. <clears throat> but we'd also like you to mix Summer of Love. So I got straight on the phone to my mate that I've done a few mixes with out in Austria. And I said, look, I've got this opportunity. I've got to make it work. And the bottom line is they loved it. And they released it. It's out. It's got like, you know, a million hits. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And they paid me. So bottom line is you two absolutely love them. I've done their next record, um, but I can't play it to anyone until they say yes. And uh, it's, it's called Red Flag Day. And when I found out that the song is about the, um, the um, children that were washed up on the beaches yeah. in, um, from Syria. And if you listen to the words, it's phenomenal. But it was really fast, you know, and I was like, this has got to be, you know, orchestrated. So I basically orchestrated it with synthesizers. You can do it yeah, these days. Sure. You don't need a 70-piece orchestra. You just got one finger. <laughs> <laughs> Press this button. <laughs> but, you know, you got to arrange it. But the bottom line was with, um, with, with, with my Austrian friend, H.B. Hoger, yeah. we made the bass drum a heartbeat. I said, make it a heartbeat, you know, boop, boop, you know yeah. with a little delay. So I'm I'm in love with the music again. It's really it's really got me. And I think for any business person, when you lose the love for the business itself, yep. you know you you, you, you that you, you get the love for another business. And I'm a big fan of Elon Musk. Are you? Yeah, absolutely. You know Elon Musk. Yep, absolutely. And he says just make something you love and make if you've got a hundred people that love what you do. Yep. You know, um, basically, yeah, uh, he's made a car, his dream car, the Tesla. Yep. And did you know that when you turn the radio on, it goes up to 11? Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
And did you know that Spinal Tap got paid in a court case after 40 years? Did you know that? No, I didn't. Mate, they I, won their court case. I think what's incredible is that, you know, for a guy that's had new wave, sex pistols, homelessness, being flat broke. Um, yes. Yeah, you know, and then having you two come along and believe in you and get involved in mixing their songs. And I think that that's, it is a great testament to you because, I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with you at the party and uh, yeah. you are a hell of a good guy. And I, I really, really, you did a phenomenal job and I'm really proud to know you. So, Thank Rusty, you. Rusty, we're just about out of time. So yeah, I do talk, don't I? I do talk. <laughs> you're good at it. Jeez, you're good. So thank you very much for your brilliant performance last week, and for speaking. Yeah, thank on, you on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You've made a friend here for life. I promise you. And I urge. Every- oh, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm going to gate crash. I'm going to borrow your sofa. Okay, no problem. <laughs> so yeah. I, I urge everybody who's listening to this show to go to rustyegan.net. That's Rusty, R-U-S-T-Y, Egan, E-G-A-N, dot net. And check out his fantastic album releases and and where you can catch if you happen to be pretty much anywhere in the world, where you can catch him live or on the radio. It's all there. And uh, he is a super, super guy. And I'll be back. So are you, Bob. So are you. Thank you for inviting me to your wonderful home and your wonderful friends. And I hope you book me again next year for the annual Australia Day Bob Pritchard party. Thank you. Thanks, mate. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard radio show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on the Voice America Business Network. Rusty's one hell of a guy, but he's, he's um, very talented, very persistent, and it just goes to show you, if you love what you do, no matter what um, hardships befall you, if you keep your eye on the ball and keep knocking on doors, you'll make it. And uh, he's, he, he's just terrific. Now, there's a controversy over whether clear-cut personality types actually exist. However, a large new study published in Nature's Human Behaviour provides evidence for the existence of at least four personality types, average, reserved, self-centred and role model. So they're the four. Each one is based on the extent to which people display five different major character traits. And these five traits are neuroticism, extroversion, openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. So depending on what 
the balance of all those are you either are average, reserved, self-centered, or role model. It's really quite simple. Um, and Lewis Amaral, a professor of chemical and biological engineering at Northwestern University, and postdoctoral fellow Martin Gerlach, analysed 1.5 million responses to four different personality surveys from quiz takers of all ages and from all around the world. So it's a pretty well-balanced survey. The pair used algorithms to sort the responses into different clusters and uncovered the four personality types listed that I talked about before that appeared across all four survey data sets with disproportionate frequency. Now, the average personality type includes, which is not surprising, most people. Fairly agreeable and conscientious, quite extroverted and, and neurotic, but not terribly open. Self-centered types score below average on openness, agreeableness and conscientiousness, but very high on extroversion. Reserved individual types are fairly stable in all the domains apart from openness and neuroticism, of which they're relatively low. And role model types have high levels of extroversion, agreeableness and conscientiousness, and comparably low levels of neuroticism. So I guess all that makes pretty solid sense. So it's like looking at a population map of the US. While people live all across the country, it's easy to spot the high density areas like New York City, Los Angeles and say Chicago, which are each home to far more people than say Cleveland or Tallahassee. But just as plenty of people in the US don't live in New York City, Los Angeles or Chicago, some people won't fit neatly into one of the four personality types. Some people may fit one perfectly. They might loosely associate with other types. So, And some people might not fit any of them. It's not possible to say exactly how many people fit into each category because drawing hard boundaries around them is difficult and it's also arbitrary. And people's traits also change as they age. So a disproportionate number of young people fit into the self-centred category, while more older people and women fall into the role model group. My wife would say that I certainly fit into the self-centred category. I'm pretty confident about that. She's sitting here with a big smile on her face, so I think she agrees. Now, people develop getting better integrated into society, acquiring traits that are more sociable over age. More research is going to be required to turn the results into personality quizzes that could be used by employers, mental health professionals, or even dating services. But we're on our way. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, oh, excuse me, I've got a sneeze came out of nowhere. You're taking up way too much space. It's easier and it's more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can do the ordinary. No matter how boring they are, they can do the ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll always be boring. 
You'll never know just how amazing you can be if you just let yourself go a little bit. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific in the U.S. and whatever the equivalent time is around the world. In the meanwhile, have a great week and continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.